So uh, the backstory of this whole entire thing is uh, at New Year's, I had we had a family get together, and toward the end of New Year Day, um, I was discussing trauma and how trauma affects people, and, and my whole presupposition or my thesis was like trauma isn't real in the sense that definition of, of the modern day uh, therapist. Anyways, welcome to Reforming Slavics. Uh, I'm Nick and we have Tom with us today and I'm going to be telling Tom essentially my thesis on trauma. Yes, I can't wait. Okay, so uh, that led me down a rabbit hole of actually figuring out what trauma was in the sense of what therapists and modern day define trauma as. Yeah. Because essentially there's, there's two forms of trauma, right? The physical, actual traumatic wounding that you can receive via getting shot or falling off stairs or cutting your leg and an amputation, right? That's physical trauma that is evident and present. Now, emotional trauma is uh, essentially non-visible and ob- uh, subjective. In other words, it can vary from person to person. And so I looked up the, I believe, the American Psychological Society or Association and this is their definition of trauma. Trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, or a natural disaster. Immediately follow, immediately after the event, shock, denial are typical. Longer-term reactions include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, sustained or strained relationships, and even physical symptoms like headaches and nausea. So, trauma is defined as a reaction to an event that is deemed unpleasant, harmful, immoral, um, for the sake of a better word, bad, right? It's a reaction to a bad story or a bad event. Um, And so nowadays, if you speak with anybody, right, the, (laughs) the common thing is to say, like, are you seeing a therapist? Maybe you should see a therapist, right? Like everyone and their mother and the cousin are seeing a therapist, right? And so that industry has exploded. You have apps like BetterHelp and you see a crisis of anxiety, crisis of depression, um, which leads to a crisis and the epidemic of opiates and the uh, overdose on fentanyl, right? There, there's yeah. a correlation there. Yeah, like, you know, there's a reason marijuana was legalized in Colorado and it's becoming more and more common, just common use, not even for medical use, just for uh, common anxiety. You know, people saying, you know, I'm I'm stressing out and having these, I'm having these bad dreams, or I'm just stressing over life. I just want to get away, escape. You know. Yeah, and escapism was always part of um, humanity. Right? To escape is to get a break or to get some kind of relief from your present situation. But going back to the the um, definition of trauma. There, there are assumptions made about the, the metaphysics of human existence when you read the definition. And I'm going to define metaphysics because that's a word that is often thrown around and highfalutin philosophy uh, and, you know, professors and, and psychological, like big, important, intelligent people, which um, we are not. And so I'm going to break down and hopefully define metaphysics and the best way I found to do that is to compare it to physics, right? Physics is uh, the way we determine or explain the physical world, right? Um, things like aerodynamics or uh, you know, the thermal laws, um, all the measurements by which we determine how the world works. Gravity, right? And so metaphysics is the way we, it's the structure of the world not physically, but in the sense of the psyche, the soul, the mind, um, the psychological aspect. And what metaphysics does is it gives you a skeleton or a framework to reference in order to define who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, good and bad, where you come from, and what the end of the world is going to be like. Yeah. Uh, and so Christians have a fundamentally different metaphysics from, for example, the modern world today. For example, if you ask a Christian, where did you come from? They'd say, well, I was created by God in the image of God, and I'm going to eternity to live forever. If you ask a modern person today, where did you come from? Well, I evolved from nothing. What's your purpose here on earth? 
I'm not sure that's self-defined. I decide what I'm here on earth and what's going to happen when you die. I will turn into nothingness. Mm-hmm. And so that's a story or a narrative that people tell themselves and the way they structure the story and the, 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 the way they say this is good and this is bad is determined on the background in the metaphysical realm. Meaning metaphysics are the laws that govern human interaction and human stories. That is why um, all almost all stories have a similar structure in which, or at least all good stories that people relate to have a similar structure. Mm-hmm. That structure was created by just the simple reality that humans function in a certain way. And my claim is that the only way humans can exist in the world, in reality, the way this world works, is to recognize Christian metaphysics. Uh, simply put, Christian metaphysics is the way God determined how we function as human beings. And uh, things like anxiety, depression, and sadness, joy, all the emotional reactions that we have are just that, reactions to to something that occurred in our lives. And there's a reason for them, and they're not necessarily bad or good. They are, they are the way we function. For example... Um, if, if a plane is traveling in the air, right, aerodynamics and um, physics would say, if you stop that plane in midair, what was gonna, what's going to happen? You will fall and die and crash in a ball of fire, right? In metaphysics, um, if you live your life in a way where you are breaking all of God's laws and the way he created the world, you will feel as though the world is ending for you. Anxiety. And so... Uh, metaphysics or Christian metaphysics explains the way, the, the reason we feel the way we feel. All right. Okay, so I, if you have any questions about that, please like shoot me out. I, I think uh, I, I'm trying to explain it the clear yeah. way as possible. Like, from from what I've heard, like metaphysics, like metaphysical science could get kind of get sketchy when they, you know, they start talking about like, uh, you ever heard of like where people talk about it kind of gets the new ageism where it's like, oh, that everything has its own vibration. Everything has its own yes, uh, mm-hmm. kind of positive or negative energy. Yeah, and, and <laughs> the reason that happens is because people decide to define it for themselves. Yeah, right? they're trying to explain something that you you sense is there with uh, uh, having a soul. Imagine, imagine um, people who have never seen an airplane trying to rationalize the way an airplane flies. Yeah. Right. It's it'll be abstract. It'll be, um. They'll say just ab- magical <laughs> dust, right? It's magical dust that makes the airplane fly, like in Peter Pan, or it's some kind of unique spirits that make it float above the air, or there's a unique vibration that's possessed by a rock and, and a force. Like there's all these explanations, right? Unless you're a scientist who actually understands fi- the laws of physics that don't change, right? The laws of physics are constant. Yeah. You won't. Same thing with our emotional states. Our um traumatic experiences until we understand by um, the, the laws that God put in place and how we as human beings function, we cannot understand why we feel the way we feel. Right. Yeah. And so it's interesting that, uh, what do you think about like, you know, other people, every person experience, uh, every person experience anxiety or tra- some kind of trauma, but two people could go through the same car accident, but, and have the similar injuries or maybe no injuries, but how come like, you know, everybody has their own personality, has their own way of, uh, you know, interpreting that trauma. Dealing with the trauma. Dealing, yeah. Right. You actually get into my point, right? So people can experience identical things. A house fire. Two siblings can experience identical thing, right? A house fire. And one can become a firefighter, the other a uh, pyromaniac. Or if there's a third sibling... Uh, a pyrophobic, right? Someone who's afraid of fire. They're the same exact experience and yet they come out completely different. And the reason for that is the story they tell themselves. So, again, going back to metaphysics. Metaphysics are the rules by which stories or good stories are created. Mm-hmm. God creates the world and way we interact Um we'll always have the same reaction. For example, when people die, we feel sad and mourn. That reaction is engraved in our psyche, in our psychology, in our soul, right? By God in order that we were to react properly. If you um, 
committed some wrong. You stole something, you committed a crime, you committed a sin, you feel guilty. That's the proper reaction to that particular thing. What happens when, and I'll go back, what happens when people lose sight of this structure, these rules that God put in place is they start reacting improperly to events. And so, house fire, right? According to God's story and according to God's metaphysics, how should we react to God to, to a house fire? Well, we should recognize that it could possibly kill you. A, so you should be fearful of it in the moment. But you could also recognize that courage is something that we can have. And by having courage, we can actually tame the fire, hence becoming a firefighter. And so if we look at God's rules and how we should apply them, we create a narrative or a story by which we live. And here is my um, basic thesis. And this is what I was kind of talking about at the New Year's night. The reason people have, a reason that people have trauma, I'm not saying the, a reason that people, a lot of people have trauma is because they tell themselves the wrong story about an event that happened to them. It's all about the story you tell yourself about something. Because ultimately, the way you function, the way you live your life is the story you tell yourself and the character you choose to be. Um, and so, when when we apply the correct rules that God created in this world and the world, how the world functions, and we make our story um, into, into the way God sees the world, we become successful in managing anxiety, depression, fear, and guilt. A, a great example would be a lot of people go to therapy and they say, well, like, I feel horrible. Why? And then they, they'll give you a list. Well, I'm living my life this way. This is what's going on. And the ultimate answer should be, well, you should feel horrible. The proper response to your sin or to your crime should be guilt. Like, that's the proper response. Um, you feel anxious because your body's screaming at you because it's afraid. Right? And so... You have people that commit atrocities, you know, like insane murder sprees. And then they don't feel guilty. We call those people psychopaths. Like something is mentally uh, unstable about you. But it's not only mentally. They have decided to tell themselves a story in which they are no longer responsible for their actions or they're no longer guilty or even killing someone is not wrong, right? Going back to the rules that God put in place. The reason the reason God creates the Ten Commandments is so we can self-reference and determine if we're actually living a good story. Mm -hmm. So in my understanding, um, we live in a story in which God is the author. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the end, God will make the all things come to an end. He will destroy, well, he will burn the world with fire and silver, and then there will be a new rebirth in the world. Now, um, if you're acting as a character in God's story and you decide to veer off into your own, you, you decide that God's story is not good enough for you or you disagree with God's story and you veer off and you start telling your own story. For example, um, no, a sin that God says is sinful is not like lying, right? Well, I don't think lying is bad. And you start veering off and you start telling lies and you start telling untruths. There are severe consequences to those actions destruction of relationships, you losing your identity, um, webs and lies and, and catastrophic catastrophic things that happen in your life, right? Um, Jordan Peterson caught on this, right? Always tell the truth. The reason for that is the consequences to denying God's story is literally denying reality. And if we choose to jump off a cliff and say gravity doesn't exist... It doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the fact that gravity exists. And so if we start saying, well, telling the truth isn't bad, you know, isn't isn't the thing that God says we should be, the consequences of not doing so still apply. Yeah. And so going back to your question, like, why do people turn out on opposite sides of an event? And I would say is 
those people apply reality, the reality of God's story differently. One person says, the fire was meant by God. He purposed it for a reason. I will find that purpose and pursue it. God is still good. God is still glorious. And in the end, at the end of my story, I will know what happens. The other person says, the fire is um, random. It just occurred. Or, you know, the gods are mad at me because that's why they sent the fire. I have no control over it. And it could pop up anywhere at any time. And so, that increases your reaction emotionally. Now, some people get so far down the road of anxiety or um, looking back at a certain event or, or some kind of, I'd call it trauma, right? An event that was difficult and they always reference that to the point where they don't have control over their emotions. And so their body always reacts in fear. So like it's a biological reaction, you know, um, all, all your cortisol increases, your heart rate increases, and you start freaking out, you run into a panic attack, your body shuts down. And all your body is doing is, is yelling, danger, and this is what we do biologically when danger when danger happens. And people lose control. And people say, well, like, how can, how can, I, how can that be sinful? If, if I can't even control my anxiety, how can it be sinful? Right? And the response to that is, just because you went so deep that you can't control it, doesn't mean it's, not against God's story. God's story always shapes us to say, well, we have no fear of anything because he is in charge. He is the sovereign ruler of the world. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched like uh, this guy, uh, I forget exactly what his YouTube channel is, but he interviews a lot of homeless people. Mm-hmm. And um, one, one huge problem between almost all homeless people is that their self-worth is extremely low and it's not not that they have they don't have any kind of value in themselves to the point where they don't even feel all right to be able to live in a better house and the reason is that they're telling them they're they're telling themselves a story and the story is me as a character in this world i am in fact worthless i cannot accomplish anything and there is no hope for me and that's contradictory to God's story, yeah. which claims that they're created in the image of God, that Christ, if they trust in Christ, they can have full assurance that he redeemed them, he loves them, he has a purpose and a plan for them, and every single bad thing and horrible thing that happened to him has extreme purpose, extreme meaning, and it was caused specifically by God for their good. If you're that kind of character in God's story, in, in the story of this universe, you have hope. You have, and this this ultimately boils down to identity, mm-hmm. right? Identity is, is like people... In the Christian community, a lot of people speak on identity and preach on identity, and they fundamentally don't understand what identity is. And so they, they bring up these parallels and connections and, and use identity as a, as a word that's very vague and undefined. And for for us to really grasp it, it's simply who you are as a character in God's story, right? Are you the prodigal son? Are you warring against him and you hate him? Are you someone who has been offended and wounded by him? Are you pursuing him, but you're struggling? Are you faithfully following him? Like, we are all characters in God's story. Or we choose we choose to be the authors of our own story and, again, veer off from reality and then can't even define what a woman is, right? Like, like the, the crisis of identity in our modern culture with transgenderism is functionally the fact that we desi- decided to abandon... Christian metaphysics and God's story and what he says about us. Mm. Um, uh, th- for example, let me, I put some notes on here. Um, where there is, sorry, excuse me. Uh, there is worldviews where they diverge from the framework of God and Christian metaphysics that God established as creator of the universe. And uh, since he established this universe, it's governed by his laws um, we can actually process and figure that out if we trust in that. Or we just reject that entire story and we say, uh, we're going to be the authors of our own, we're yeah. going to create our own framework. We're going to, we're going to define why we should be anxious, why we shouldn't be anxious, why we should, we, we should feel guilty, why we shouldn't feel guilty, why we shouldn't feel guilty. And then we stop having any reference points. We, we don't know what a woman is. We don't know who God is. We don't know who we are, what the point of 
anything is right and so we yeah. become really jumbled and literally lose reality yeah i was i was watching this uh other, other interview about um this person who used to be transgender and he he thought that he thought that becoming a woman would help his uh intimate life you know his life of having an intimate partner because he was a uh, uh, sexually abused by his father so anytime he had a um anytime he had a uh you know a rela- relationship that got intimate with a because he he was gay like he he wanted to have a boyfriend but anytime he got intimate he literally got flashbacks to when he was sexually abused by his mm-hmm. father and so we thought becoming transgender would in some way you know fix that problem okay you brought up an incredibly good point um there are, in fact, differences in the way we respond. Again, I don't like the word trauma, but for a placeholder, we're going to use trauma. Um, there, I, I think there's multiple categories, but here's three that I came up with, and, and it references back to your story about um, sexual abuse and, and that. Uh, one is One form of trauma is when you're sinned against. Another form is when you sin against someone. And another is difficult or bad things that happen to you as a result of the fallen world and the curse like natural disaster natural disasters right uh one is what you mentioned you're sinned against and so you have all these psychological difficulties and reactions and it cramps your physical attraction it cramps your um, sexual desire it cramps your intimacy it makes you untrustworthy like it creates this whole sloth of difficulties challenges brokenness um confusion and just absolute chaos in your brain and the christian perspective is is, is, the answer is really simple and people would say like no it's not these people have extremely difficult psychological problems it takes years to figure them out and orient them and my question is orient them how to what standard to what structure to what storyline right and the answer to someone who was abused or hurt or sinned against is what? According to Christ. Forgiveness. You fundamentally have to forgive that person. And until you don't, until you do, that person, that narrative, that storyline has a hold and grip on you. And as a result of that, you have all these issues. And as soon as you choose to forgive, you're capable of working through intimacy and understanding who you are as an identity and figuring those things out. Mm. But the fundamental start has to be forgiving the offender. That's why, that's why um, there's a comedian, John Chris, and he has like this tagline, forgive your parents because all these millennials and all these Gen Zers are not going to therapy because of all the issues that were caused by their parents, not loving them or their parents um, even actually legitimately abusing them or them being hurt X, Y, or Z. Or putting standards on them that they couldn't... Yeah, achieve, right? Yeah. Right. And they're, now these millennials and these Gen Z are telling themselves a story. The story is, all my problems, all my issues, all the things that are bad with me are the fault of my parents. And if there's no forgiveness, there's no, there's no way out of it. In other words, they're slaves to the past for the rest of their lives and their identity, who they are as human beings will be defined by that forever until they die. Yeah. And so God's story is once you forgive them, your, like you, your identity could be replaced with what God says about who you are yeah. and who you are according to God's according to God is you are made in his image. You've been bought with the price and now no longer you live, but Christ lives in you. Mm. And all the all the things that were wrong with you, God, in God's eyes, you are, in fact, holy and righteous. Yeah. And you can create a new identity. So you've died to your past identity, and now your identity is defined by who Christ says you are. Yes. And that's, that's the story. Again, since God is the author of this reality, quite literally, he, he gets to define who you are as a character. Right? Two is things you did to other people, hence post-traumatic stress, especially those veterans and, and the things they've experienced, right? They can't, or, or people who've done bad things or people who feel tremendous guilt and have existential angst 
fear of death? Hmm. What's the, what what is the proper or the the solution to those people? Repentance, asking for forgiveness, being reconciled. Why does the Bible say we can attain peace with God through what? Through forgiveness of our sins. In yeah. other words, you must be forgiven. And if you recognize that, the same applies. Your identity and your character arc in the story of this universe changes and is defined by God, the author. And that's why it also says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Yeah. It's so that that relationship could be restored between you and your brother. Yeah. Again, God God creates the rules for the story of this universe. And if you follow his rules, you can be a good character. A character that's brave, a character that's loving, a character that's useful and purposeful, a character that actually has a purpose in this story. Yeah. You know, you know that's why um, there's a lot of Christians that are against um, you know the the sobriety program, alcohols, Alcoholic Anonymous, mm-hmm. because they uh, f- every meeting you would do the same thing where you would say, "Hey, my name is Jim, and I'm an alcoholic." Once an addict, always an addict. Yeah. So pretty much you're you're never you're pretty much introducing yourself of that who you are instead of going past that, like what the Bible says, you know like new creation, all things are past. Yeah. Yeah. We are we have died to the sin. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are uh, slaves of righteousness. Uh, we've been buried with Christ, raised to no life with him. For I am crucified with Christ and no longer I live but Christ lives in me, right? All those are realities that we must adhere to or we will actually lose our minds. Yeah, or like where it says, do not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived that neither fornicators, neither idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And it says, and such were some of you. Yeah, a great example about were some of you is is the the homosexual movement in the modern age, right? I was born this way, and I did not choose this, and I can't change, right? And that's fundamentally a warring against God's story, where you may feel that you you were born this way, and you may have these attractions, but guess what? God can change you to yeah change those there are sins right you were born in your trespasses and sins yeah we we as human beings lust i was born that way right (laughs) tell that to the person like what if the judge tells that to the person that you know just has terrible crimes against his own child like oh i was just born that way i'm sorry judge yeah and so but here's here's the issue where, where worldviews collide, where, where storylines collide, and where metaphysics collide. Um, you can speak to an individual and say, like, your, your actual, what what you're doing is sinful. And their response would be like, well, I don't have a category for sin. In other words, they have their own metaphysics that they created. They have their own rules and standards by which they live, and they, they write their own story. And um, this is actually drawn from the very foundation of sinful human beings where we decided to be like God to determine good and evil for ourselves the the original sin of Adam and Eve was not only to you know rebel morally but to fundamentally for ourselves write our own stories determine our own destinies and create our own metaphysics and when we did that we started living as though we're the ones who are in charge right I can, in fact, lie and murder and not feel guilty or not feel anxious about someone murdering me. It's like, you can try to live that way, but ultimately, your body and your mind and your psyche will revolt against you because God's, you know, God created the world and how we interact. Yeah. Um, there is also an interesting dilemma when people have, excuse me, when they, when they address, um, identity people grab on to who they are as characters and refuse to let go and the reason they refuse to let go is they refuse to trust god and in the fact that he is in fact the one who 
is the author of this universe. Um, here's a quote from a book that we just were discussing, Deep Comedy. It's essentially a, a, a Christian, an explanation for Christian metaphysics and how this world is going to ultimately be concluded in a joyful event. Um, but here's a quote that I, I really liked. From the, biblical, from the biblical perspective, the tragic hero is simply a character who refuses to trust that God knows what he's about in his universe. When you reject God's story and the fact that he knows exactly what he's doing with all the hurricanes, all the deaths from earthquakes, all the people dying in war, like if you say, like, I'm going to create my own explanation for all these things, you will slowly start losing your mind. And your story will be tragic. Because all stories are tragic from any perspective but the Christian perspective. And here's what I mean. Pick any movie that you really enjoy. Tell me, tell me a story or a movie that you really enjoy. That, Lion, Lion King. Lion King, right? What happens at the end of Lion King? Simba comes back to his pride, and he roars, and then he defeats his evil, you know, evil uncle Scar, mm-hmm. and restores the the balance of yeah. the uh, of the Serengeti pride plan, land, right? Pride land, right? And, and the story ends and closes. Now let's let's forget about you know Lion King two, Lion King one and a half. Forget about all that. Let's just focus on that story. Credits end right, but that's not the end of the story. That's the end of that portion of the story. The end of the story is Simba grows old, he dies, he has kids, those kids die, and the cycle continues until what? Until the end of the world. And unless you have a Christian worldview, the end of the world is nothingness darkness emptiness and void and so uh, as a kid even till now every time i used to watch a movie or a story and the story would end with joyful celebration a marriage uh right a reunion a victory and the story would end i'd be like but those guys eventually grow old and die what happens to them and i would argue that's a fundamental earning that we have in all our souls we want to know what happens in the end. Yeah, your wife must love watching movies with you. <laughs> well, <laughs> she had, yeah, she um, had the change. After I told her how I view about it, she really disliked the fact that I told her about it because she started thinking that way, which is not a great, you can't suspend your disbelief. But my whole point is um, all the stories that we tell ourselves in movies and books and everywhere, right? The end that we put is not the real end. The real end is the end of the world. And unless you're a Christian, it's a tragedy. There, there is there is no hope. Like we end in a void of nothingness and therefore nothing matters. Nothing you do matters, nothing you pursue like nothingness. Nihil, nihil, what nihilism is the only answer to that. And the whole entire point of deep comedy, the book is that no, we don't actually live in a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Only the Christian worldview can provide a comedy, a comedy in which there is a happily ever after. Like the actual term "happily ever after" and all the storylines and all the fairy tales, the only way there can be such a thing is if Christ is in fact the King of the universe and we are in fact in glory. And the sad thing about the reality we live in is the people who are tragic heroes don't have to be. And the yeah. only reason there's tragedy in this world is people choose to deny God's story and rebel against him and end up in eternal hell. Yeah. So how come, like, modern day movies, it seems that uh, there's a lot more emphasis of, like, movies trying to kind of her- herify the villain. And so as like, you know, like a lot of Italian mobster movies, it kind of seems like it puts a light on those like to where you kind of kind of wish you could do that it glorifies yeah or like the joker so it like helps you sympathize with the villain which i guess there is a little bit of sympathy but it's like okay where's the responsibility for your actions but it also reveals who we are as well right we we somehow align with the fact that we all are very very evil inside our wicked hearts and that resonates 
And some, you know, like The Godfather is a really good storyline as how they tell a story. The Joker is fundamentally a flip of good and evil. Like it flips the world upside down. And again, I'm not a movie critic, but I'm talking about the end of all things, right? When the when the when the red, you know curtain goes down, the end credits roll. That's not the real end of the story. The real end of the story is the very end, the eschatos, the end of all things. And the end of all things can only be one or two, right? Either we are in eternity with God or nothingness. Yeah. What do you think of people that would say like, oh, but uh, they would say like the purpose of their life is to love and to love one another. Like, how, like you know, versus the thing of you would say it's, just the, it's nothingness. No, it's pretty much nihilism. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say so, to that? So we as human beings... So, this statement is probably true from all humans or almost all humans. We want to love people and we fundamentally need to be loved by someone, right? But no one can answer the reason why. Like, I, I need to be loved by someone. Like, but why? Because it makes me feel good. Because that's something I need. Why? And the only real answer to that would be that God created you in such a way where you're designed your functionality as a human being, you're designed by the creator of this universe, is to interact with other human beings in that way. And the only way it's meaningful is that pure reflection of the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he commuted that attribute of his of himself to you. Yeah. And so people who say, well, love is the answer. What do you mean by love? Right? We have 20 different definitions of love. What, is, what does real love mean? And so, you, you again, your entire, your definitions start falling apart, right? Like, wh- why is it that um, transgender people, you know, they have an extremely high suicide rate? Don't, don't they love people? Don't, aren't they loved by other people? Yeah, but they're fundamentally denying reality and who they are. And so there needs to be a return to a fundamental storyline that makes sense that matches reality and every time we veer away like reality stays the same we just live in a fantasy and when fantasy collides with reality reality always wins um and again yeah they have this statement in the lgbt right love is love but what if someone wants to love a 12 year old and he's 18 like what do you do about that they love is love isn't it yeah. or, or what if that person wants to love uh, an animal like <laughs> two very like perverted ways like are we just gonna allow that oh love is love no even they have a standard and it's like what is your standard and unless it's god's standard in the story that he puts out you will always be lost yeah now so and, and a person and a person will say well uh love it's not loving if that person doesn't consent, right? If that person doesn't uh, want that to happen to them. It's like, all right, so I saw a, a video on Twitter today where this guy was arguing that a 12-year-old 12 12-year-old 12 uh, child can consent to sex. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right. So if it's consensual, then it's love. Uh, then you can go down some really dark paths. That standard doesn't work either. There has, yeah, there has to be a fundamental truth that we apply it, it, to everything. Um, and a lot of people would be like, "Well, are you saying that therapy is useless or therapy doesn't work?" No, in fact, people like Jordan Peterson have recognized that there is a metaphysics. In other words, a sh- list of rules and applications. Hence, his two books: Twelve Rules for Life and Twelve More Rules for Life. He, th- those rules make sense. And he discovered them through analysis of reality and research. And a lot of it had to do with research of the Bible. And yeah. the reason they make sense is because he's he's reading these stories in the Bible about Abraham, about um, Mo- Moses and, and Isaac and, and all these characters in God's story and the way he lays them out. And he finds the rules in which the stories are applied. And he takes those rules out and extrapolates them to apply these to your life. Yeah. Now, now that works because they're God's rules, and you're living according to God's metaphysics. The problem with that is, 
you can't just live by God's rules. You can't just apply rules. You have to fundamentally live in his story. And the only way you can live in God's story, truthfully and honestly, is you have to confront the reality that Christ, in fact, was incarnated in the flesh. And he died for your sins and he was resurrected. And you either worship him or you reject him. Yeah. You could borrow his rules, but you can't borrow from his story. Yeah. And, and again, going back back to the end, the eschatos, you're you're always going to be a tragic character. Because you're either going to hell or into nothingness. And the only way you could live in a comedy, a joyful um, world, is if you accept the fact that there's a cross that paid for your sin. Um, yeah. What What do you think about, like, because um, some Christians are so against uh, therapy that they'll, their solution to people's uh, tragedies will just be like, you know, if you're struggling with lust or you're struggling with homosexuality, like we did that episode Oh, just pray and read a you know read the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's like very uh, doesn't seem like very effective. Up, yeah, or uh, applicable. Applicable, yes. And so I'm not saying you don't need therapy. What I'm saying is you should receive counsel. And in fact, we the reason one of one of the rules in God's stories are we are forced to live with other human beings, and we need other human beings. Again, we need love right from other people and we need to love other people that's fundamentally written into the rules of the story that god writes in this history and so one of the ways we should pursue therapy or counseling um is from someone who actually understands the story that god that we are the reality that we're living in and if you pursue counseling from a person like that you're capable of recognizing primarily first your sin and how God views you, and then two, the solutions and the practical applications, right? I'm not I'm not saying that, like, you know, for example, someone who was addicted to pornography, like, oh, just pray about it, go talk to a counselor, and after that, there's no, there's no practical advice that you can have. Like, no, like, delete, you know, things from your phone, delete things from your computer, destroy your computer, never touch a computer again. Like, there are extreme things you can do practically, same thing with your marriage. Like, you can't just pray, say, honey, I'm sorry, and then never talk to your wife again. Like, there are practical tools that you can use, again, rules for life, that you can use in order to live in God's story. Um, and the only way you can actually continually apply those, though, is if you recognize the story that you're living in and that has purpose and meaning. Counseling is crucial and extremely important. Um but the type of counseling is more is more important than just any kind yeah. of counseling, right? Because if you go to a therapist who denies the meta the Christian metaphysics, the Christian rules of how people interact and how people function, and you'll say, Well, you know, I feel extremely guilty for being really abusive to um, my dog or my parents or to my kid. And the therapist um will say, like, well, change and improve and do this and this and this and yeah being abusive to your family dog or or uh, parents is bad but you go to a therapist and say well i have same-sex attraction the therapist isn't gonna say well that's bad because they fundamentally don't have a reason for it to be bad and so they say like you know you shouldn't feel this way go and go deeper into your sinful lifestyle like be happy be great and they don't fundamentally understand that you're warring against the very nature of God's uh, reality. And and going back to the plan analogy, all they're doing is they're giving you makeup to apply as you're, you know, or brushing your hair as you're falling to your death, death in an airplane. Like there is no usefulness in that advice because they're ignoring the reality that you're plummeting to your death Yeah. in, in a metaphysical way. Yeah, what do you think of uh, David's life? You think he had a lot of trauma, King David? Yeah, well, um, it's interesting how he, how he would go to prayer in the in the terrible things that he went through. Right, he had a he had a king, the most powerful man in Israel, pursuing him for much of his life because of his jealousy. He had Absalom, right, his son that betrayed him, mm-hmm. and pretty much tried to overthrow his whole entire kingdom. 
he had trauma because of his own sin, right? With having a having a uh, marrying a wife of a man that he killed, mm-hmm. and many other things. Yeah, like if you look through the big characters of the Old Testament that God uses, I mean, they're trauma ridden. Like they they are the most traumatic people that you can find in narrative story, right? Take take Joseph, right? Is is favored by his father, so he's a brat. Is um, planned to be murdered by his closest family, sold into slavery, falsely accused, spends time in prison, forgotten about. Yeah, and then becomes the most powerful leader in all the the, the known world at the time, or well, the second to the most powerful leader. And what does he do? How does he how does he work through his trauma? He forgives his brothers. Right? He recognizes that it wasn't... You might have meant... Like, this is the story um, Joseph's telling himself. You might have meant it for good. But God meant... I mean, for evil. But God meant it for good. You brothers might have meant it for evil. You guys wanted to sell me in slavery. Never see me again. But God meant it for good. And not only for my good, but to save a multitude. And Because God's story doesn't stop there. God's story... Eventually, it eventually ends with Christ being born and crucified and redeeming all of humanity, right? Like that's the story of Joseph. You go to David, you see David being what the youngest brother who is despised by everybody, and then what does God do? Points to him, next king. He he, he is almost killed multiple times. His wa- first wife is stolen from him, is given to another man. Eventually, becomes king. His son rapes his entire harem, tries to kill him, right? He, David himself, um, sleeps with Bathsheba, rapes her and doesn't rape her. Who knows? Some people debate about that. He kills her husband. That kid dies, right? And if you read through the Psalms, you will recognize that David had extreme emotional issues, extreme, as people would define, mental issues. Extreme psychological issues. Seems very bipolar, even sometimes within the same song. Oh, my soul, you know. Um, and he speaks to himself and his emotions. And you take that modern framework and apply it to David, and you will recognize that he, the only way he could have processed and figured those things out and rejoiced was if he accepted that God, in fact, rules the world and he's in God's story. And eventually, he produces who again? Christ. Right, and the culmination of of all the stories of the Old Testament is Hebrews eleven, in which God God speaks of of all the hero the heroes of faith. Right, and then it says, and none of them achieved anything in this world because they had a city that is yet to come. And again, going back to the end of all the ends, unless you recognize that all your all the all the bad sin that was sinned against you. All the sin that you sin against other people and all the horrible things that happen to you. You being maimed, you being paralyzed, you being sick, you being afflicted, you being jobless. All that is specifically orchestrated and written by God to the period, to the dot, to the comma, to the color of your, your shirt, right? God is the one who is writing your story. And so there's no way you can mess up because you're not the author, that gives you a framework in which you can work through forgiving other people, in which you can recognize that you must be forgiven, in which you recognize that um, you know the the things you tell yourself of who you are. I'm a horrible person. I'm worth nothing. Um, I can't achieve anything. All those things start disappearing, obviously through counseling, through through talking to brothers and sisters. And all the brothers and sisters and all the pastors and all the counselors do, all they do is remind you of that story and remind you of that framework. That's all all they're doing. They're just making, they're explaining to you God's metaphysics, the rules that he created in which we function as as psychological human beings, and the story in which you are living in. That's all therapy really is. You, The story is being explained to you specifically in ways you can understand. I think that would change a lot of people from being grumpy about their spouse and being um, unhappy with their spouse or 
being mad at their kids or kids being mad at their parents. Um, all, you know, friends accusing each other of, of all things. Like, like if you boil down and you ask yourself a simple question, what kind of character am I in God's story today? And what can I do to become a better one? Well, first of all, recognizing that he is the author and then living in faith and obedience to his rules for life. I think that will help people. Where where can I find these rules? Amazon? <laughs> you can find 12 Rules for Life from Jordan Peterson on Amazon. But um, the, the stories of the Old Testament, if you read them, and you look through the rules in which God uses his characters, you will find a place for yourself. Um, you can uh, read a deep comedy. It's a very difficult book to read. Um, a lot of references to... Um, Greek philosophers and um, Ovid and uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey and then Shakespeare. Um, you can drudge yourself multiple times through that book and it'll help you understand it. But even if you don't know any of those references, I think it'll still be helpful if you're interested in that. Yeah. But um, but the most important place is probably scripture. Yes. <laughs> um, God's rules are found in his word. And it may seem um, so... Uh, I guess unbelievable because we like fundamentally Christians have always just read the Bible and said, just read this. It'll help. It's like, no, you have to actually process the word of God and apply it and, and functionally walk through what it means, which community and talking to people helps with. Yeah. And, and then you're able, you're capable of reading the rules, reading the stories and finding yourself in God's story. Um, That's kind of my thesis. Now, I can be wrong at points, but I think I've I've got it pretty nailed down in regards to the the archetypes of how God how God structures us as characters, how we interact with each other, and how the reasons we feel the emotions we do when events occur, and then us choosing how to order our emotions, our reactions according to what kind of character we want to be in God's story.